This is episode 29 of the Coach's Log podcast featuring Adam Goldstein. And he said, Adam, everybody I know who has what you have ends up in a wheelchair. I said, okay, um, we'll see. How's it going, everybody? This is Taylor Lipman with the Coach's Log podcast, and I have the chairman of the board of the Cruise Line International Association, Adam Goldstein, on the podcast with me today. Adam, how are you doing? Doing great, Taylor. Nice to be on. Excited to have you here. I'm uh, really excited to dive into kind of what's going on in your world within the cruise line industry, given everything happening, and just how you're taking the approach to tackle it head on as the chairman of the board. Yeah, we have quite a challenge on our hands. It's quite possible that the cruise industry is the only sector of the entire world economy that is globally shut down. And that is, tell me a little bit about how you're tackling that right now, just to kind of go straight into it. Well, of course, the most important thing we can possibly do as a vacation provider or sector is put people first, make sure we have people on board our ships for safe, healthy, and phenomenal vacations. And like the entire world, this COVID-19 thing came upon us. And at the beginning, nobody really understood what was happening or how it was transmissible or what you should do about it. And so we eventually suspended our operations. And now we're very hard at work coming up with a new generation of public health protocols that will allow us to safely transport our guests back onto the best vacations that exist. And from a leadership standpoint, what were some of the, the thought processes that you had when this initially was starting to bubble up? How was your approach initially towards it? Initially, we were looking for guidance from any authority that we felt could provide credible advice. That means primarily in the United States, the Centers for Disease Control, of course, CDC, And in the world, it generally means the WHO, the World Health Organization. And what was happening in February into March was as this virus was becoming evident in certain places, first in Asia, second in Europe, they were sort of one by one suggesting that people who had been in a certain place up to 14 days before shouldn't be allowed to travel or shouldn't be allowed to board cruise ships in our case. And so we were sort of trying to keep up with that as best as we could. But then in early, mid-March, uh, there were you know, quite serious incidents around the world. <clears throat> we ended up in a meeting with the Vice President of the United States, the head of CDC, and the head of Department of Homeland Security. And they asked us to do a plan, which we did in three days. We came up with an enhanced public health plan. But By that time, things were starting to be in question and we took the step to suspend industry operations until we were sure we could handle all our our guests and crew in a healthy way. And and in that position that you're in where you had to suspend the operations, how did you approach the, the obstacle to where you were not going to have to be considered the nice guy in that situation to where you have to suspend operations and to where there's going to be a lot of people maybe in dismay or that might have anger towards that and might have resentment, even given the circumstances. How was that? How did you have to mentally approach that being given the circumstances you were in? So let me give you a little bit of background as to sort of what my normal interaction is uh, within the industry leadership. 
there is a global executive committee of our association called CLIA. And the members represent in particular the largest cruise companies in the world. So that would be Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, MSC, Disney. And my normal interaction on any issue would be with those CEOs and then with the association staff. It is very challenging under the best of circumstances to gain alignment amongst such independent and powerful characters as are the CEOs of the cruise companies. Mm -hmm. Under these circumstances, it was, I don't know, infinitely more challenging, something like this, exponentially <laughs> more challenging, yeah. uh, because everybody's an extremist. Mm -hmm. uh, the value of the companies that are on the, whose stock trades on the public markets plummeted, the pressure on them, the, the, how they needed to deal with their employees, both onboard and shoreside, were all unprecedented. And in that environment, uh, myself and Kelly Craighead, the CEO of CLIA, needed to try to gain alignment wherever we could or as much as we could to keep forging ahead. And we're still doing that. And what do you think can keep people away from finding that alignment in business or personal life? So you have, first of all, long histories. Everybody on that executive committee has been there for years or in several cases for decades. There's a lot of personal history and baggage in their individual relationships. Each company is naturally very competitive with the others. That's their sort of first level competitive set. Mm -hmm. And so on a day-to-day -day basis under normal business uh, conditions, they're competing with each other like cats and dogs in the marketplace. They're jockeying for any advantage that they can gain one over the other. And then all of a sudden, boom, this happens. And now they're kind of all in the same boat, so to speak. But it doesn't come easily. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of work. There's natural suspicion. There's shifting coalitions of interest. And I try to keep up with it, manage it the best I can. Sometimes you hear the expression herding the cats. I say these are lions, these are not cats. <laughs> yeah. So I call this herding the lions mm -hmm. as best as I can do. Very dominant forces in the industry, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, so when you're herding the lions and you're having to go about that, being in the position you're in, you had mentioned prior, it's, it's a volunteer position, correct? Where you're you're volunteering your time and your energy into helping all these people out in these organizations? Yes, so I had, I ended my 32 years of service at Royal Caribbean Cruises Limited at the end of February. This was before we knew anything about COVID-19. Mm -hmm. I had already been chairman of, the, of CLIA for two years, a few years back when I was a full-time senior officer of Royal Caribbean. So of course I was being paid by Royal Caribbean. Uh, my term as CLIA chairman goes till December 31st of this year. And so I agreed, not knowing about COVID-19, that I would be a volunteer and continue to act in that capacity for the last 10 months of my two-year term this time around. And then all hell broke loose. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so yes, I, I am the volunteer. Yeah, you you were the chosen one for this, for this <laughs> mission right now. <laughs> how, now, how is that? I mean, do you find that it happens for a reason? Do you believe in that theory that everything does happen for a reason and you've kind of been put in this position because of your skill set and because of your abilities to handle it? I guess I'm more of the school that you deal with the reality that you have in front of you. 
Uh, I'm fortunate that I was able to build relatively strong personal relationships with the different members of the Global Executive Committee over time. Of all the people other than themselves, I think they've come to feel over the years most confident that I could play a relatively neutral objective role as chairman, even when I was a member of Royal Caribbean. So they were comfortable for me to finish out my term. There are still tensions all the time that we need to work our way through as different things come up. But be, so until COVID-19, my sense was I'll do this because it's the right thing to do. It's a nice, I should finish my term properly. When COVID-19 hit and suddenly the industry found itself in the most remarkable position in its history, I would say as one of the leaders of the industry over the decades, this is not how I want the industry to be as I either leave it or prepare to leave it. And I think the others feel exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. So putting in this kind of effort, even as a volunteer for an industry that allowed myself and my family to have a wonderful standard of living, to have all kinds of interesting experiences, to have traveled the world, to have dealt with innumerable governments, media, and others. I wouldn't do anything else right now, but try to help the industry get through this. Mm -hmm. And to switch gears a little bit, to backtrack to how you got into the industry, can you share a little bit about how you got into the, the cruise ship line, how, how that kind of came to be? Sure. It was not a foreseeable path. Uh, the one sentence version is I was a lawyer and I wanted to be the client. Mm. That led me on a three and a half year odyssey from roughly the middle of 1986 until the end of 1989, during the course of which I first left my law firm in New York, then became a consultant for a shipping company in London while I was applying to INSEAD, the business school, then only in France, now in Singapore and Abu Dhabi as well. Then I really enjoyed the part of my London experience with the shipping company that had to do with their cruise investment, which included Royal Caribbean. Then I went in, see, I've got my MBA and fortunately a one-year program because the guy I had worked for in London called me up in March of that year and said, look, Adam, I'm going to bring the different cruise interests together into an official group. And I, Richard Vane is his name, I'm going to oversee it. And would you work for me in Miami when you graduate? And not only did I do that, but he was still my boss when I left Royal Caribbean 32 years later, <laughs> <laughs> which is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to Royal Caribbean. I became sort of accidentally something like general counsel, although I was never called that. And then I got my big break about a year and a quarter in when we created a new wing of the marketing department. And uh, I became the director of marketing development. And that's when I really feel I became the client. And I was at the company for 31 years after that. Do you think that during your time leading up to that big break, were there any moments of doubt or fear or am I going to have a big break? Were there any sort of negative thoughts that might have held you back? Absolutely. When you leave what appears to be a potentially comfortable professional track, something that I was sort of accustomed to because my father had been a partner at a law firm, so maybe I could just stick it out and become a partner at a law firm. I'd seen it happen up close and personal, but there was just something pulling at me that said I'd rather be a businessman than a lawyer. 
Uh, I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen when I went to London with the shipping company, didn't know how I would do at business school, and then going to Miami, a place I'd only been maybe two or three times on vacation, but this was going to be my, my livelihood and not even really knowing what I would do when I got there. And then to make matters even more amazing, four weeks after I started at Royal Caribbean, Carnival tried to buy us. And again, absolutely all hell broke loose. Mm -hmm. And I was right in the center of that. And I, I would say the chances of me not having been able to stay with the company in that episode was way above 50%. So then the smoke cleared and then it was just a matter of finding an area of the company where I could begin to be a businessman. But that whole sequence is so unlikely. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it turned into a 30 plus year career was against the odds. And you said something that I think about a lot and that I've been trying to reflect in try to help my clients in life coaching understand more is that you said you felt pulled to be a businessman. Like there was something that was pulling you in that direction. Can you touch on that a little bit as to how you leaned into that? Because I think a lot of times we might hold ourselves back and that creates a lot more tension in our lives when we don't lean into that. And when you did lean into it, all these opportunities came, but a lot of turbulence came with that, of course, too, to, to really test your faith in that. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that you can identify what are your passions or passion and figure out how to follow that, there are risks involved in court, of course, in that journey. It doesn't always work out how you would like for it to have done. But the alternative of not following your passion, just because maybe it seems more comfortable or less risky to stay where you are, is not a scenario that I'm personally comfortable with. I was willing to roll the dice against whatever uncertainty might eventuate to try to get into an international business career, which I just felt was a space that I could hopefully thrive in. I will say, because I, I, I know it's important for you and your clients to kind of understand the context of people's lives and then therefore the choices that they make. So without going into gruesome detail, my college life, which was, you know, seven years before I started at Royal Caribbean, I graduated uh, from Princeton, but the last five of my eight semesters were destroyed by something that was going wrong in my back. And we thought that since I had been rowing, it must have something to do with rowing because rowing can be hard on your back. Long story short, it turned out I had a tumor filling up my spinal canal. Wow. And I'm bringing this up. I didn't used to talk about that early in my career, but now I am what I am and it is what it is. And the reason I'm bringing it up is that when you think about the kind of risks that I felt I was taking to reposition myself from lawyer to client, as compared to the experience that I had had trying to deal with this thing that happened in my spinal canal, it didn't seem as daunting. And I had more a sense of these kind of risks. I may not know the outcomes, but the risks are manageable <laughs> mm -hmm. compared to not knowing if you're going to be able to walk or not or what have you. Yeah. So that was, I mentioned that context because it made it easier for me to, to roll the dice and go on the path. Yeah, and that's really important for people to understand that context because I think in times, all of our decisions and all of our perspectives and perceptions are based on our realities. And for you to have experienced that and to understand 
what it takes and what's at play. Like if you take the risk, I don't see it from your perspective. It makes perfect sense as to why you wouldn't roll the dice and go for that because you've had so many other things at risk in your personal life as well. Yeah. There was a, a very grizzled eminent neurosurgeon um, that I was seeing as a patient um, when I was around 25 or six uh, in that period when I was a lawyer. And he looked at me and he said, Adam, everybody I know who has what you have ends up in a wheelchair. I said, okay, um, we'll see. Um, so of course things happen that are beyond people's control, but determination counts for a lot. And I was determined to make the best of whatever was possible. And a lot of great things happened to me over the years as a result of, you know, being determined to find a place where I could be both personally and professionally satisfied and feel like I was doing right and doing well, both personally and professionally. And um, not only did that help me in my Royal Caribbean career, but then incredibly, in the long run, it turned out I could run again after all. So I would have run in the Boston Marathon, except it didn't happen. But That's awesome. I'm hoping yeah. to run in the Boston Marathon next year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope we can <laughs> that that can happen again. Yeah. But I mean, for you to be able to push through that and to have there's there's two aspects of it: the blind faith and trusting that, like you said, it's like we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'm gonna trust that I can get through this and overcome it. And on the flip side of that, the blind faith comes with when you took the risk in going in the career you went, because I'm sure you didn't expect to be in the position you're in now. And I'm sure you didn't expect for the path to be the path that it was and to take you where it led you had you not just gone for that risk and left the comfort zone. We had no idea what the cruise industry turned out to be. We had a sense that this tiny little niche vacation type could be bigger than it was. It was quite fun to be on the ships at the time, even though the ship's from the perspective of 2020 seemed primitive <laughs> looking back in 1988 but that we could go from 3 million people cruising in a year to 30 million people cruising in a year that ships could go from what they were to oasis of the seas we had absolutely no clue that that could happen but we were all determined and we were all ambitious and we all pushed the envelope of what could be delivered to guests and here we are. And now you're in the position that's where you're really having to think about the guests and thinking about right. even more deeply of how you can serve them in the position you're in. But it's all in a matter of service and providing exponential value at the same time. Yeah, I, in one respect, every day is a complete new adventure because none of us have ever been in this predicament before. On the other hand, we have really 50 years, 30 years for, for some of us who are still in it, but let's say 50 years for the cruise industry as it's known today, of taking great care of guests, of having enabling people to have wonderful careers on and off board, of figuring out the answers to innumerable problems, of working through things like 9-11, the Great Recession, SARS, H1N1, you name it. And this is the biggest problem that we've ever had, for sure. But based on that past and 50 years of problem solving and finding interesting solutions, we believe we'll get through it and, and we'll figure out how to 
work in the COVID-19 environment and take care of our guests. And you have the blind faith to do it. You've done it a few times in your life, and I'm sure that you <laughs> have the yeah. full ability to keep doing it moving forward, regardless of the position you're in now. That is our thought process. So to wrap it up, the last couple of questions. Along the cruise industry or outside of it, you know, tell me about your current mission. What is it that you're working on? That could be personal life or in the professional world as well. So if you step back out of my business career and look at my life, if I can do that now that I just turned 60. <laughs> um, my goal, I don't know if this sounds ridiculous, but I want to answer your question. My goal is what I call a balance of excellence. I grew up in an environment where the law firm that my father was a partner in had many brilliant people doing great legal work, but invariably their personal lives were a mess, <laughs> to put it in succinct terms. Mm -hmm. And somehow out of that, I came to the desire to have a life, if possible, where I could somehow achieve what I would like to think is both personal and professional excellence. That yes, there would be tensions in either direction and sometimes trade-offs to be made. For sure, there have been. But that's what I have been striving for. And I will never stop striving for that. It doesn't matter what age I am. Um, this is an extraordinary moment full of challenges as we've been discussing. And yet we've ended up somehow in a position where our two children in their mid-20s are here with us, both working remotely back to New York online. We never, my wife and I never thought, and who would think that you would ever have a chance to have this kind of quality time with your children who are now adults. Mm -hmm. And it's just been beyond wonderful. It's been unbelievable. And uh, no matter how grim the situation is, in many respects, I think we'll always look back on this period feeling, and in that one respect, at least, we've been phenomenally lucky. And hopefully that's a reflection of the investment that uh, Cheryl and I put into all of this over the course of time. And I'm sure that the family time is starting to uh, dwindle down in your mental capacity a little bit with the uh, <laughs> having everybody stuck in one house. You know, we try not to be on top of one another. Yeah, uh, we good. do start family binge TV watching at night when we can. Um, we don't work all the same time schedules. So actually, it's not that we don't actually see each other so much. And we're all busy in our own way. But there's enough family time, obviously, when we've been here for three months straight. Right. Uh, that we just never expected to have. And it's truly wonderful. It's definitely a blessing. So how can myself, how can other people, how can we help you on your mission that balance, finding that balance of excellence or finding it in our own lives? How can we be of service for you? You know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's about me. Let's talk about for one minute. Of course, when we first, you and I first agreed to do this, George Floyd hadn't been murdered. Yes. Now he has. And we just all have to try to do right things, try to do right by people, try to make right decisions, try to take other people's interest into account best as we can. So that in a big busy world of 7 billion going on 9 billion people, but 
maybe more importantly, 330 million people in this country of all different persuasions, we can figure out ways to prosper together and treat each other appropriately. So I, I wouldn't worry about me. I, I'm incredibly fortunate. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who would really benefit from being treated properly. We should work on that. I cannot agree more with that statement. And I appreciate you sharing that, sharing your thoughts on it, because definitely during this time, the most, the best thing that we could do is to find that prosperity within each other, find that love and the peace that we can try to unite in at the same time. And it's so important with everything happening in the world around us. So I, I, I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to talk about these things. I hope that anybody who's watching or listening um, you know, can find their passion, exercise their determination, and get the kind of results that they would like to get. Absolutely. For anybody listening, we appreciate you taking your time to hear Adam's story and to listen to how Adam has found his passion and discovered what brings him fulfillment in his life and how he's now navigating the entire cruise industry as the chairman of the board. So Adam, we appreciate your time and we appreciate everything that you're doing in the world around us. And for everybody listening, let's keep doing our part. Let's keep building each other up. Let's keep finding ways to prosper together. This has been Taylor Lipman and Adam Goldstein on the Coach's Log Podcast.